Lord God, there are many times where we think we love you so well. But upon hearing your call to love you with all of our heart and with all of our minds and with all of our strength, we confess that our love for you is diluted. It's made flat by lesser loyalties and a divided heart. Our love seems pure only for a few moments, and soon our affections are drawn away, and how easily our devotion dies. Forgive us. In your deep mercy, we ask that you spare us, despite our lost first love for you. In your grace, we ask for you to rekindle our love for you in seeing Jesus. We ask that we can see him anew this morning and his deep love for us. Because as Paul told us, we are chosen ones of God, holy people. And we are to be clothed in heartfelt compassion, generosity, humility, gentleness, and patience. We are to bear with one another, forgive each other, just as you have forgiven us. So we ask this morning to put, help us put on these clothes of love. And may the peace of Christ reign in all of our hearts because it, because it is for this that you called us all together in one body. Help us to always be thankful with deep gratitude for your unending mercy this morning we pray. Amen. It's so good to be together. I hope you had a great fall break. There are some seats up front, if you don't mind. So you can come up front. I, I, won't, I won't bite or spit on you. Uh, at least I'll do my best not to. Um, we're going to read our scripture together from Galatians chapter 5. Come on up, seriously. If you, if you want a seat, there are seats up here. And there's seats over there. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 12 together. Well done. Thank you all. All right. Let's read this, let's read this aloud. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit... By faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I'm confident about you in the Lord that you will not think otherwise. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. But my friends, why am I still being persecuted if I am still preaching circumcision? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> yep, you said it. 
And I did not make that up. That's in the Bible. I actually thought of having a student read our scripture this morning, but then I felt like that would be too mean. And it would be too hard to make them try to keep a straight face and not chuckle. So I thought we'd do it together, and we could all chuckle together when we came to that line. The fact that a line like that about castrating, going and castrating yourself is in the Bible is actually, there's something really cool about that. Because it tells us a few things about the Bible. One, Paul was a real person. He was a real guy. And he even had these real fiery comments and got all fired up because he knew Jesus and the gospel so much. And he loved these people so much. He just gets, ah, I wish, wish those guys would just castrate themselves. Ah! Like he's, he's, a real, he's a real guy. And the other thing about it, it reminds us about the Bible is the Bible is not this kind of cleaned up spiritual, moral list of platitudes and nice feel-good things. The Bible is earthy and real. The Bible is, uh, was, is put together over a long period of time, but written by flawed human beings, and yet God inspired it and brought it together by his spirit to witness truly of him and his purposes in the world. It's a real book with real people, and you see it in lines like that. In the midst of the messiness of the Bible, God makes himself known and speaks to us today. And that's what we trust in the midst of all kinds of the humanity and the, all the pieces that, that make up the Bible as it is. So that's all free of charge. I just couldn't, I couldn't ignore that, that castration comment. We had to say something. Before we dive into the passage today, our, our passage today, well, more, I need to show you another picture of me from college. This one uh, is from my senior year, and it just didn't happen very often, but uh, <laughs> a couple of times in my life, I've had to have some fun with that afro I had, and, uh, and this is a, a time when I went blonde, so <laughs> got a, a, you never probably didn't expect that one. I've so enjoyed going through the book of Galatians together with you as we've been, we've been working through it, exploring the freedom that God has brought us in Christ, the Messiah. Last week we saw the way that Jesus frees us from any ways that we seek to find the fulfilled life on our own, whether through good things or through sinful things. But neither way actually brings the fulfilled life, the happy life that Jesus offers us. Today we hear from Paul a further description of how we obtain that fulfilled life and what it looks like. So Paul starts by returning to his refrain about circumcision. If the Galatians allow themselves to be circumcised, meaning submit themselves to the law again, they are rejecting Christ's saving work on their behalf. His logic is simple. Trying to be right with God through circumcision means that human effort and ethnic identity are the means to reconciliation with God. If that's the case, there's no room for faith or grace or Jesus. No need for a Messiah. To break out some of my engineering nerdiness, this is a digital, not an analog relationship. For Paul, it's either on or off, a one or a zero. There's no gray area in which we contribute our 25% and Jesus contributes his 75%. It's not like in our righteousness, okay, God does, yeah, 75, we do our 25. thought you needed a graph too. I, I kind of like using Excel every once in a while, so I'd throw it out there for you. That's not how it works. We are either given Christ's perfect righteousness and reconciled with God, 100% God, or nothing. There's no middle ground. There's no space here in the middle. This is the gift that, that, that it's all God, is the gift of the reformed doctrine of grace. 
This is the gift that we received from the Reformers. And they say, uh, their mantra, it's all grace. God does it all. It's 100% God. We may think down that, that dot at the bottom, we do, we do not, or God does, uh, God does 99%, sorry, it's actually up here, and we do 1%. You're right almost at the top. We may think that. It's just that 1% we do. But the Reformers would say no. And I would say the Bible would say no. Although we have still have real human agency, we have real choice, as God has given to us, we don't contribute anything to this equation. All we do is open our hands, trust, receive, believe. And even that is in response to God's initiative, enabled by God's grace, and perfected in Jesus. Even our response. Everything is grace. It's all God. God is giving us this gift in Jesus. I love you. You're mine. Receive it. It's radical. It doesn't make sense to us. It offends us. But it also frees us from any weight or burden. The weight is not on us because God has done it for us. In grace in Jesus, he comes to us and says, I love you. And I love this world. So verses 2 through 4, we see this transformation is all grace. And that's where we begin. Now we come to verse 5, our role. Paul says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Instead of trying to add anything to God's gift of being made right with him and being made whole and free through Jesus, we are to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What is the hope of righteousness? I think the best way to get, go to, to take a look at that is look at Galatians 2, the end of Galatians 2, that incredible highlight central passage in Galatians. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ live, who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Or maybe a translation might say, live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Both could be, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So our hope of righteousness is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, who lived and died and rose for us. That's our hope of righteousness. This one righteousness in him is threefold. It's completed, done, finished. It's ongoing, and one day will fully be realized. So it's done. Our righteousness in Jesus is complete. In his life, death, resurrection, ascension on our behalf, we have received his righteousness in our place, on our behalf. It's done. We are righteous in him, his children. But it's also ongoing. We are continuing to be transformed by his spirit into his likeness, conformed into, his, into what it means to be the children of God, to, be, to live as the sons and daughters of God, part of his family. It's happening right now in us, in this room. And one day, it's going to come to full completion. We're going to get a new body, and all the sin and death and the, the flesh and the, the fears all that will be gone and we'll be fully restored to righteousness and communion with God and with each other. All this is our hope of righteousness. This one hope that has three parts. Calvin says it this way. Hope is simply the expectation of what faith believes as that which God has truly promised. Hope is simply the expectation of what faith believes as that which God has truly promised. In other words, in hope, we eagerly expect 
that God has done, is doing, and will do what he's promised us he would in Christ. That is our hope of righteousness, that God will do what he says he has, has done and is doing in Jesus. I don't know about you, but for me, the hardest part of God's promised righteousness is the ongoing part. I don't often see God's righteousness lived out in my life the way I want it to be. Instead of living a big life, overflowing and joyful service to others, and courageous justice, seeking, courageously seeking justice in the world, and living a life of, of wholeness and integrity, I often live small. I make sure I take care of myself. I, I ignore the injustices I see in the world. I cut corners to make life more comfortable for me. That's the ongoing part, the struggle. And that's the struggle of the Christian life. I trust by faith that I've received God's righteousness and Jesus for my past and one day will be made righteous in the future. But what about now? What about today? What about where we live now, this hour? So further addressing this now, Paul hits us with verse 6, where we hear that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. Again, Paul's like really making that clear, right? But the only thing that counts is faith working through love. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. So we know from the beginning of the passage that Paul's not insinuating here that we need to add anything to Jesus. He's been really clear. That would be rejecting Christ. Instead, he's mapping the center of God's transforming work in our lives. The center of God's transforming work in our lives by the Spirit is this. Real faith in Jesus results in love. In Bob Goff language, faith does. Or even better, faith loves. This is what happens when we have faith. Both Luther and Calvin are super clear on this point about the correct order of Paul's logic here. Faith alone makes us right with God. But faith is never idle. That's Luther. Or, Paul sa or Calvin says, faith is always accompanied by good works. To return again to my math theme for the day, faith and love are not commutative properties. Commutative properties. All right, remember this from eighth grade math? Here's, a, here's our review. Two plus three equals three plus two. The order doesn't matter. That's the commutative property. Well, faith and love are not commutative, according to Paul and according to the Reformers. The order matters. Faith provides us with righteousness in Jesus, which leads to love. It's one direction. We don't start with the act, the things we're doing, and figure it out, okay, I, I know how to love, okay, now I'm going to be right with God because I'm doing all this good stuff for God. That, we reverse the order. It doesn't work that way. Paul's really clear. It's one direction. But, the inevitable result of faith in Christ is love. A transformed life by the Spirit. This is what happens when we know Jesus. It's not optional. It's notable that Paul describes the center of the Spirit-transformed life, not as personal morality or selflessness, but in terms of love. For many years in my Christian life, I, I, I felt like, Kind of the main purpose of, of, of my transformation, of God's transformation in me, was to decrease my moral shortfalls, particularly the sins that were highlighted by the Christians around me. So as long as I, I needed to cuss less and 
avoid lust and make sure I never got drunk or had sex and probably stop listening to some of that music that corrupts my mind. And, you know, that's, that's the goal. That's what it means to be a Christian, a good Christian. Stop doing that stuff. With some modifications, those might have been kind of good things. But they're not meant to be the highest goal of the Christian life. This picture of the transformed life limits the good news of Jesus to the gospel of sin management. Pastor Dallas Willard's words. The gospel becomes the gospel of sin management, where God's greatest concern is my personal sin. And so the end purpose of, of the Christian life is just that I would sin less. Could that really be God's greatest goal and hope? Although personal morality is important, as we'll see more clearly in Galatians 5, it's there. The center of our Christian life is not about me. It's about God and what God is doing. So my transformation is not about my sin, but it's about my call to live in communion with God and be part of the people of God and to join God in his expression of love to the world. That's the gospel. At least we're getting closer. The good news of Jesus is not just about me. The good news of God's redemptive work in the world is to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. Here's the shorthand way I like to say it. The gospel is about me and Jesus, that's true, as a part of we and Jesus, the people of God, for the sake of the world. In love, God invites us to trust in him, to be known as his children, and be transformed into people who love others as an expression of his love for all people. This is all wrapped up in what it means to be reconciled with God. We have been crucified with Christ, and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. In Romans, Paul uses this, this picture of a, a tree branch being grafted in. He talks about the Gentiles being grafted into the people of God. This is a fitting illustration here as well. By faith, we are included in Christ. And as we grow in him, by the Spirit, he transforms us to live more like Jesus. The one who demonstrated the ultimate love for others in his life and death for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He showed us love, and now because of his love, by his spirit, he's transforming us to love also as we live in communion with him and get life from him. This is the gift of transformation. You guys come on up. We're going to keep talking about this in the next few weeks as we journey forward with Paul in Galatians. But today, we see that by grace, God transforms us by his spirit to love others. This is God's gift of transformation that we receive by faith and boldly enact. We don't act, enact boldly to earn anything. We act boldly because we've been included in Christ. And we are obeying his call to join in him and his loving, reconciling work in the world. We don't earn it, but we get to join him. Living with him, with his people as we participate in his good work in this world. Think of someone who you know who does this. Someone who lives in the reality, the truth of God's love, transforming them and sharing that love in the world because they are in and know Jesus. Maybe someone famous. Maybe it's a saint, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Gary Haugen, the founder of International Justice Mission. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling you know who selflessly loves and cares 
Who's that person? As we sing this song, thank God for that person. As we sing this song, pray that we would be a people, individually and together, who would live as an expression of God's love because of our faith in Jesus. Let's sing.